This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. My guest on the podcast this week is Alex Zavaronkov, CEO of Insilico Medicine. Aging is uh, one of the major challenges that humanity is facing today. The population has uh, tripled over the past uh, 70 years, and the population also got uh, older. So we need to uh, identify new ways to keep uh, people in their optimal health, uh, healthy state for as long as possible just to uh, ensure that the economy remains intact. There is lots and lots of data available for uh, aging research, but AI takes it to the next level. So it basically accelerates everything. So think about this as, as a carriage versus Formula One. If uh, you are pursuing aging research and you find a way to extend the life of everybody on the planet by one year, uh, you generate seven billion, well, seven and a half billion uh, quality-adjusted life years. This is Alex. He's the CEO of Insilico Medicine, which is exclusively focused on developing and applying deep learning methods to drug discovery. It's probably the largest next-generation AI and bioinformatics company in the world, focusing exclusively on aging and age-related diseases. Alex is also the director of the Biogerontology Research Foundation and the founder of the International Aging Research Portfolio. He heads the Laboratory of Regenerative Medicine at the CPHOI and is the International Adjunct Professor at the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. As an anti-aging expert, he is convinced that even people past their 70s who are in good health have a good chance to live past 150. And this inspired me to invite Alex to my podcast to explore how technology can be used to accelerate progression in this field, how it can augment researches around the world to create breakthroughs that will ultimately increase longevity for all of us. And during the interview, you will learn four things. Firstly, why the best innovations start with the end goal in mind. Secondly, how by clearly defining your business model upfront, you can avoid delays and unpleasant surprises. Thirdly, why data privacy is becoming the critical aspect to innovation success. And lastly, why it is key to surround yourself with like-minded people who share the same passion and are not just in for the money. To get the podcast started, Alex, can you give a little bit of background about yourself and about your company? So, uh, Alex Zabronkov, I'm the CEO of Insilico Medicine. 
a Baltimore-based uh, artificial intelligence company focusing on uh, drug discovery. I am also the chief science officer of the Biogerontology Research Foundation, a UK-based charity focused on uh, aging research. Aging research, okay, that's interesting. So where does this come from? What is, what is your passion? What drives you around this, this industry? So my passion is, of course, uh, aging research in uh, every way, shape, and form. And uh, since uh, aging is a very multifactorial and multidisciplinary process, I have to touch uh, many areas uh, of uh, science and technology, primarily artificial intelligence, because it allows uh, us to encompass a lot of those multifaceted uh, processes uh, that transpire during aging. Yeah. I think that aging is uh, one of the more major challenges that humanity is facing today because there is just more people than it used to be. So the population has uh, tripled over the past uh, 70 years and the population also got uh, older. So we need to uh, identify new ways to keep uh, people in their optimal health, uh, healthy state for as long as possible just to uh, ensure that the economy remains intact. So that's primarily driving my passion for uh, aging research and artificial intelligence. Another uh, really important point and kind of the fact that uh, I was one of the first to uncover is that uh, every living organism, every chemical entity, every molecule, everything in this world has age. So we are all different, but we all have age. And uh, when you train the deep neural networks, uh, it's a very, very good feature to uh, train uh, predictors on. So you basically train uh, the deep neural networks to predict the age of anything. And uh, the deep neural network captures a lot of very relevant, and when it comes to biology, biologically relevant features. So it kind of drives my passion uh, for... uh, Artificial intelligence, the fact that you can uh, pretty much harmonize almost anything with just one feature, age. I think we are our age. Yeah, your your website says our mission is to extend healthy longevity through innovative AI solutions for drug discovery and and aging research. So your solution, how long has it been on the market yet? So we have multiple solutions. Some solutions are on the market uh, for a while, but uh, many of those are still in development. So we do specialize in uh, two types of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, So one is we develop new methods in artificial intelligence for um, classification, prediction, but also for generation of uh, uh, new data sets. And another form of uh, AI is applied artificial intelligence. So we develop uh, biomarkers using AI and also we discover new drugs, new molecules using AI. And some of those uh, technologies, like, for example, age predictors and some of the predictors of disease status are already on the market for uh, over a year. Some are uh, are currently in development. And, of course, we do have uh, nutraceuticals on the market. So people who are already buying some of the natural products developed by our AI. And we have lots of uh, molecules that we've uh, discovered that might be good pharmaceutical products, and uh, those are being licensed to the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, what I believe is there's a technology component, but what is the thing around drug discovery? Drug discovery, we actually pioneered one uh, field in drug discovery, so we were kind of the first to publish, first to uh, 
experiment uh, for us to validate and for us to, uh, to license uh, those molecules. So we rely on a very new technology in uh, artificial intelligence called the generative adversarial networks. Okay. So this is the technology which, which allows you to not only classify or predict like many other techniques in AI, but actually generate new stuff. So we make neural networks imagine new molecular structures with specific sets of characteristics. So I can basically, instead of looking for a needle in a haystack and going through large chemical libraries, I can just generate a perfect needle from scratch with uh, the desired set of characteristics. And in this area, we uh, kind of made pioneering moves. Just one group at Harvard, Alana Spuru-Godzik's laboratory, some very brilliant people, brilliant minds. They also have the claim to fame in that particular area, the application of uh, guns to drug discovery. But that's uh, the area of uh, AI for drug discovery that I am specifically passionate about. I think that this is going to be the future and that's going to be transforming the pharmaceutical industry in so many ways because you can essentially embed those guns into drug discovery pipelines and it's a very valuable Lego block that solves a lot of problems. Okay, so you can create the the, the perfect needle, as you say. But so what do you then do with with that outcome? How is that then taken to to market and how does it provide value? So in pharmaceutical industry, it's unlike many others, unlike an information technology, it's not possible to just uh, create something and start selling. So you really need to uh, go through multiple stages of validation to ensure that it's uh, a safe very, very important. So it needs to be safe and uh, B, it needs to be effective. And it needs to be effective on a population scale. Or you need to find novel ways to personalize uh, your molecule to a specific population group. So this process is very lengthy and uh, sometimes takes, you have to be prepared to uh, be in the game for years or even decades. And What we are doing with those molecules uh, after we generate them in silico, so meaning in a computer, we uh, synthesize those molecules. So we ask uh, contract research organizations uh, that we work with to synthesize those molecules. Then we send those molecules to different sets of contract research organizations that test those molecules in uh, human cell lines and in animals. And then we patent, and then we uh, usually publish research papers and uh, try to license those molecules to uh, pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical companies. So we don't want to actually sell those ourselves. And the end result at the end is that it can influence people aging or the longevity of people. So most of the molecules that we discover are focused on age-related diseases. So not necessarily on... uh, the fundamental aging processes. Uh So we uh, are attacking the metabolic diseases, so things like diabetes and uh, all kinds of other forms of metabolic diseases. We specifically like to go after muscle wasting, after sarcopenia, so muscle wasting during aging. We also like to focus on all kinds of dermatological conditions like androgenic alopecia, uh, rosacea, alopecia areata, so hair loss, and uh, also all kinds of uh, dispigmentations of the skin, uh, psoriasis, so some autoimmune diseases. And of course, we, uh, most of the focus that the company is taking is cancer. And primarily, those are not pediatric cancers, not something that happens in uh, kids, 
but uh, adult cancers, and we try to uh, uh, go after the cancer itself, but also we try to deconvolute the aging signatures from the signatures of disease. Very often, uh, these are the same signatures or similar signatures, but we always try to kind of uh, extract that difference. So in, in essence, it's not that you extend the life of, of people that, that, are, that are healthy, but it's typically extending the, well, the, the, the life chance of people that have particular disease or, or, or preventing it from happening in the first place, correct? Exactly correct. So our uh, wow. approach to drug discovery and aging research is that uh, we need to be very credible. So we, uh, our credibility and reputation is more important than anything else because uh, in this industry, it's very easy to make the wrong step and uh, get into the kind of snake oil category because there has been uh, so many stories, so many scientists, so, so many charlatans who came before and tried to cure aging using all kinds of interventions. So yeah. anti-aging is pretty much a swear word in many uh, areas. It doesn't really associate uh, with something that is credible. So we try to be in the realm of credible, try to work with very credible partners, with academic institutions and with all kinds of uh, pharmaceutical companies to discover new drugs against age-related diseases. But of course, some of those could be in the future repurposed for aging. Wow. So that makes me wonder, because I mean, research has been done, done for a long, long time. If there was no such thing as AI, would this be possible at all? Or is this something that it's just come to the surface as, as an opportunity because of the compute powers and the, the fact that you can sort of calculate the outcome right now rather than searching for it. Well, aging research has been around for a very, very long time. So yeah. uh, people have been going after aging for centuries, you know, and some uh, people committed their lives to aging research, like Ponce de Leon, who was looking for uh, the fountor, fountain of eternal youth. Uh -huh. but, uh, and of course, there has been huge progress made in aging research over the past uh, 50 years uh, after genomic sequencing techniques uh, became available. And of course, the technology advanced in general, so more people joined the research community. And there is lots and lots of data available for uh, aging research, but AI takes it to the next level. So it yeah. basically accelerates everything. So think about this as, as a carriage versus Formula One. So you can... Uh, <laughs> You, you can still get from point A to point B, but you can do so many things uh, in Formula One that you cannot do with, uh, you know, carriage racing. And of course, you get to enjoy it. Yeah, because you can very easily get results. You can test them and, and move on with, with other alternatives. And likely, that's also where, for example, machine learning comes in place to, to figure out all those things ahead of time already. Absolutely. And... Also, your program is about uh, inspiration and about motivation and about how people are passionate about what they do. I think that aging research in general and biogerontology and associated areas are the most altruistic areas anyone can pursue. Because So I actually try to motivate myself uh, by very, very simple pragmatic logic and basic life economics. So there is a term called quality-adjusted life year. It's essentially yeah. a year of life uh, in perfect health. And when you are planning to do something, when you're trying to evaluate the various possibilities in terms of what you want to do in your life or in your day or in this year, 
Yeah. You can always do it in terms of the number of quality adjusted life years you produce. So yeah, sure. if you are a doctor, for example, and you save for, you know, 10 people's lives in a year or maybe like 15 or 20, let's say uh, every one of those uh, lives will result in every one of those saves will result in, let's say, uh, 50 quality adjusted life years. So yeah. you save, let's say... 10 patients, uh, you get uh, 500 uh, qualities. But if uh, you are pursuing aging research and you find a way to extend the life of everybody on the planet by one year, wow. uh, you yeah. generate 7 billion, well, 7.5 billion quality adjusted life years. So it's very, very huge impact that uh, you are making on the populations. So, of course, it's more, more risky. So it's the possibility that you are not going to add a minute to anybody. Yeah is very high, but uh, I would say that's the most important and most uh, promising and most fruitful area to focus on. I would say so, yeah, definitely. I mean, for anybody, a week more or a year more, what could you do? That's, that's all dependent on, of course, what your ambitions are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I mean, that is really the, the scale you're talking about, right? Like for potentially improving the quality of life in years for everybody on the planet. Exactly. So that's the most important area to focus on. And uh, as you know, I mean, what would be your guess? What is the average life expectancy on the planet today? So I'm talking about for every country, including the developing countries. 65 years, 70 years. Very good. So it's actually uh, like closer to 72. So it's increasing very, very rapidly, even yeah. in, the very develop in the developing countries where Previously, life expectancy was, uh, you know, less than 50 years. Exactly. So technology is propagating. And if uh, the technology is, avail is available uh, that can extend uh, the lifespan of everybody on the planet, uh, it will propagate very quickly. So when do you expect that, that these effects kick in? Of course, there has been a lot of research already and some products are already on the market. But the real big impact areas we're talking about here. So I think it could take a few decades before uh, we really feel the tangible effects of those technologies. Of course, you know, just uh, welfare, just increases in welfare all over the planet will result in major increases in life expectancy because that's the, the main contributing factor and the main uh, feature that drives longevity. And you can see that some of the uh, countries with longest living people, longest living population are the wealthiest country. Uh, countries. So you see, you know, Monaco and uh, Andalus and many, many uh, countries and regions where you just have uh, substantial wealth accumulated. Uh, that's where you get major effects uh, on longevity. And I think to really propagate some of those technologies globally, you need to have increases in uh, welfare all over the planet. So some, uh, currently those technologies are uh, available very asymmetrically. So the poorest poorers do not have access to uh, those medical treatments. And I'm talking about just some of the very basic longevity interventions. And of course, some of the, uh, you know, anti-cancer, anti-CNS, uh, anti-metabolism, -met um, metabolic diseases, drugs. So initially, we're going to see major impact uh, in, in the developing, developed countries. And then we're going to see it in the other developing countries. So what does it have to do with? I mean, I was speaking to, to a person from the global, from Seattle, Global Good Fund, I think it's called. And oh, uh, Good Ventures, maybe? 
Yeah, yeah, intellectual ventures. Oh, okay. And he was talking about uh, what he called catalytic invention. That was all about the three A's. That the technology that is being created is applicable, affordable, and available. So the availability part, of course, is a big issue with regards to the developed, the underdeveloped countries, development countries. And that's, of course, the distribution. That's, that's, I think, also why you're saying that the, the effects will first kick in in the, in the developed countries because there's much more access and much more knowledge about these things to make use of it. Correct? Correct. But that might not be necessarily a bad thing because at this point of time, people are like a lot of people who are also pursuing altruistic endeavors are trying to go into developing countries and trying to extend longevity there. In many ways, I think uh, those countries would probably benefit more from education initially, because right now, and we actually should focus on technologies that might not necessarily be as affordable to make impact uh, in those regions immediately, but they need to have major effects on human health, even if they are deployed initially in developed countries to ensure that uh, people see it and believe it and adopt it. And uh, later, those technologies can be uh, either miniaturized or uh, made less expensive and yeah. propagated into the uh, developing countries. Because technology that is really at the forefront of, uh, of our time is usually quite expensive. So we're looking at uh, uh, some of the molecules that we come up with. They are just you know, difficult to synthesize. So if you synthesize a gram, you are likely to use it for experiments and not for distribution in the developing countries. So yeah, sure. initially, the, the first push needs to be in the developed countries. Exactly. So can you really explain shortly the journey from the aha moment till the time that, that you started releasing things? Uh, so for, for me, that has been a very gradual journey. So it wasn't just uh, aha and let's go. I took a lot of calculated uh, risks and okay. uh, we looked at uh, multiple technologies. The real aha moment came in uh, 2014 after we switched all of our pipelines uh, to deep learning. So uh, that was a major breakthrough moment for us and uh, the stars aligned and our background in uh, GPU computing really played off nicely. And in 2014-2015, uh, uh, deep learning systems started uh, outperforming humans. Yeah. So you've got superhuman accuracy in image recognition, voice recognition, uh, text. Uh, and in 2015-2016, we started seeing those generative adversarial networks uh, uh, coming to life and showing us novel images generated specifically by AI. Uh -huh. So once that happened uh, and technology really started advancing very rapidly in deep learning, for us it was the real aha moment. And we basically started pushing into this direction with everything we've got. So for some of the technologies that we have, uh, it took uh, just half a year from invention and the aha moment to market. So some of the aging clocks, for example, are already available online that you can test in principle. So you go to aging.ai and you can upload your recent blood test and uh, it will predict your age. We don't make money on this, so it's a free system. And uh, <laughs> yes, and there is also a system called uh, young.ai where you can upload multiple data types uh, to guess your age and uh, kind of plot your age predictions uh, over time. 
So that system also took about a year to develop. And right now we're testing it. We're not, we're not selling it, but it's already available for testing by, by people. And for some technologies that resulted in nutraceuticals, so it took us about a year and a half to put uh, products on the market uh, and partner with some of the nutraceutical vendors to develop uh, and market those products. So right now, a lot of people are taking our nutraceuticals. Yeah, interesting. So getting towards the, uh, the end of the, the podcast, what are the, the key lessons that you've learned so far? What advice would you give other researchers or, or, or business people that are thinking about these big innovations and using AI in this respect? What advice would you give them? So to the researchers, I would make uh, several comments. First is uh, if you are planning to start a business, it's very worthwhile to spend some time uh, planning Mm -hmm. and thinking about your business model. Because uh, if you don't have a defined uh, business model with a very clear outcome in terms of revenue flow, you will get into trouble later on. So, and we've we realized that uh, several times because then you have to switch the business model and it becomes much more difficult to fundraise and also to operate. So the planning phase needs to be extended. If you are going after uh, age-related diseases or applying AI for uh, to healthcare, it is important to actually spend some time thinking about how you work with the data and how to avoid working with personal data uh, from patients and uh, work more with the data that uh, is either synthetic or anonymized. So in our case, we had to uh, uh, work very, very, very diligently to ensure that we are not uh, breaching any privacy rules. So so ensuring patient privacy and safety, that's the most important uh, part. So spending time on that uh, really pays off. And third is find really good partners who can support you financially and uh, can be with you for a long time, who share the same passion. So when you work with venture capitalists or partners who are in it for just the money, it is becoming very difficult. And sometimes people want quick exits and it, it will destroy your, uh, your business and your value. So it's important to work with like-minded partners. Completely agree. So what's next for you? What is your next big thing that, uh, that you believe should be, should be on, your, on your top list, your top priorities? Well, our priorities have not changed. In Silico is my main area of focus. We started looking a lot at the intersection of AI and blockchain technologies as well, where we uh, identify new ways to share data, because for AI, you really need to have a lot of data. So we are uh, identifying new ways to share data with our peers, with our customers, with our uh, collaborators, with our suppliers, and also across the industry. So looking at ecosystems of uh, data sharing. So You're working with Bitfury, right? Yes, we're working with Bitfury to uh, identify new ways to put all kinds of uh, data on blockchain. So Bitfury is one of the top... uh, names in this field exactly they're if they're excellent platform good so if there's anything you could ask the audience what would you like them to consider or to, to come back with you any help for uh, testing young ai or uh, aging ai would be hugely appreciated 
And of course, I would like to ask the audience to just pause, think a little bit, and think about the implications of uh, aging on uh, their life and on the society as a whole. And then uh, take another few minutes and think about how can you contribute to extending human longevity uh, in every way, shape, or form. How to generate that uh, one single quality-adjusted life year for everybody on the planet. And if you find uh, a way that can add a minute, don't hesitate, just uh, go and do it. I couldn't have asked for a better way to finish this, uh, this interview. Thank you very much, very inspiring. Thank you very much and I uh, highly appreciate the interview. It was a pleasure, Alex. And for everybody that is listening to this podcast, thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Alex Zavoronkov, CEO of Insilico Medicine. You can find more about Alex in a variety of ways. First of all, you can go to Twitter, and the Twitter handle for Alex is at Biogerontology. Second option, of course, is LinkedIn. And last but not least, you can also go to their website, which you can find at www.insilico.com. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.